So starting a brand new series today with this statement, I hate math, okay? All right, I just, I always have, I always will. I'm glad that some of you like math. For those of you who are accountants and stuff like that, I'm glad that you like math. God bless you as you count. Okay, so, um, I mean, but I still remember my sixth grade math teacher standing up at the front of the room, Mr. Brownlee saying, Mr. Fishbook, A plus B equals... And I remember seven, <laughs> but I didn't know. And apparently I, I got the answer wrong. So he tried it again, Mr. Fishbook. A plus B equals, and I did, ab. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I have no idea. And I was absolutely shocked when Mr. Brownlee said A plus B equals C, right? Some of you still don't know that, that's scary. Okay, so, but I'm just like, what do you mean C? That's dumb, right? Letters are for words. They're not for math. I love words. Numbers, not so much. And the words that came out of my math teacher's mouth next have stuck with me for years. Everything in life is an equation. And I've been trying to unlearn that and undo that in my life ever since, even though it seems to work on the most personal level. Because we all use equations, right? In fact, most of it goes like this. Me plus something equals something else. So let's just have an honest, transparent moment. Grant plus money equals security. Grant plus laurel equals better grant. All right? See how I did that? That was good, right? She's here in the service, so that's awesome. Okay, so, all right. Grant plus good works equals God loves me just a little bit more. It's not biblical, but that's what we think. Those are the easy ones to compute, but what about the ones that don't compute? I mean, I hate sharing this, but if we're going to be honest and transparent, let me tell you how it works for a pastor. Grant plus good weekend attendance at Christ the King equals happy Grant on Monday. Grant plus not so good weekend attendance at Christ the King on the weekend equals sad Grant on Monday. It's not right, but that's just true. That's my stuff. What about yours? For some of you, it's me plus good sales numbers equals God must love me more this month. For other people, it's me plus, me, me plus good grades equals acceptance. Me plus good looks equals someone to actually try and accept me in a different way. Sometimes it's me plus adversity equals God must not love me as much this month. Do you see how the equations can mess us up? They mess us up because there's this is principle that just, it just seems to make sense. If you ask the wrong question, you're always going to get the wrong answer. Here's another equation that many of us fall victim to. Blank plus Jesus equals blank. And this is a tough one for many of us because it's true. We want what we want in the first blank with a little bit of Jesus on the side. We want the American dream. I want the house and the car and the nice family plus a little bit of Jesus dust on the top of it. That equals Christianity or happiness. A good job plus a little bit of Jesus equals security. I want the perfect relationship plus a little bit of Jesus over top of it, and that will help me feel good about my relational world. And the sad thing about it is that so many of us look at that equation and go, well, what's wrong with that? That's good, isn't it? If you live your life that way, I'll tell you what it means. It means Jesus is an attachment for you. You're just attaching him on the edge of things. You still want what you want, and it gets even more confusing when religious people come in and start flipping the equation around. Religious people will come in and say this, it's Jesus plus something equals something. Religious people just add stuff. It's, it's if you have Jesus plus the right political party affiliation, 
That's Christianity. It's Jesus plus the right Bible education. That equals Christianity. It's Jesus plus my favorite podcast preacher. That equals Christianity. It's Jesus plus my spouse. Jesus plus an altar call. Jesus plus, plus the right kind of worship that I like. It's Jesus plus organic food. If you're in Whatcom County, it's Jesus plus recycling. And if you don't do that, you're evil, right? It's Jesus plus something, and that's what fulfills us. And boy, are we going to be offended when the Apostle Paul shows up for the next seven to eight weeks and says, if you would dare call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is the only equation that you get to work off of. Jesus plus nothing. Ooh. This series is going to be challenging. I'm completely intimidated by this. We just finished an Old Testament series. I like that stuff because you can tell the story and pull the principles together. This stuff is intimidating because you can actually get this wrong, right? Paul's going to go after anything that we add to Jesus. He's going to go after our marriages, our relationships, our business ethics, our thoughts, our misconceptions. He's going to go after our church. He's going to go after our hearts. And we're going to struggle and question and probe. And my job is to irritate you for the next couple months. Yay! It's going to be a fun email month. We're going to challenge assertions as God pushes back on anything that we would attach to Jesus. So are you ready for that? And I've been praying about this for a long time, about whether we're ready for this or not. I'm not sure I am, so let's just dive right in, okay? Turn in your Bible or your app to Colossians. If you're looking forward for the first time, kind of about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then the small book of Colossians. Before we start, I want to make this important note. The book of Colossians that we're going to be working off of, it's actually a letter, okay? And we don't really do letters anymore, do we? I mean, we, we send messages and 140 characters or less with our thumbs. We tend to send just a couple of sentences in an email. This is an old school letter. And I want you to think about this. If someone took the time to actually pen out a handwritten letter to you, you would probably read it. And I think this letter is so unbelievably important that I have another challenge for you. So challenge number one for Easter is to actually watch the Bible miniseries on television. The second one is what we're calling the Colossians challenge. And that's to read this letter, the one that we're going to be sitting in for the next little while, to read the whole book out loud with another human being every week for the entire length of the series. It's about four chapters long. Take you about 20 to 22 minutes if you read the whole thing in one sitting. Or you can break it up into chapters. I'm just asking you, the, the way the Colossian church would have read it was actually to each other. That's oral tradition. And we just don't do that anymore. It's kind of weird. But what if you took the time? Husbands and wives, family units, small groups, you and your accountability partner, you and your best friend, whatever. And every single week, you made sure that in one seven-day period, you read through the entire letter from beginning to end, just to make sure that the pastor's not lying to you just to make sure that what I'm saying is true. Why would we do that? Let me tell you why. Scripture says, God's word have I hid in my heart so I won't sin against God. When we read Scripture, it protects us. Reading the Bible is putting God's heart, God's thoughts, and God's purpose into our lives. So we're going to read the letter. We're going to spend time just taking it apart and putting it back together again. It's an amazing letter. We've kind of lost the art of letter writing. I googled this past week letters. And this letter showed up on my screen. And when I read it, I just went, wow, how far we have fallen. It says, 
Dear Jessica, and this is real, by the way. Dear Jessica, you've asked me to stop writing these letters. You've told me they will never change things between us. But I can't, Jessica. I can't let you go. Even Darth Vader, an evil Sith Lord. (laughs) I can't make this up, okay? Even Darth Vader, an evil Sith Lord, couldn't leave his son to die at the end of the return of the Jedi. You make me feel so safe, Jessica, so warm. I want to curl up in your arms like Luke Skywalker curled up inside of his tauntaun to protect himself from the sub-zero temperatures of Hoth where the Rebel Alliance was hiding from the Galactic Empire. You know what's weird? There's college guys here right now going, what's wrong with that? I don't know. We need to talk, okay? And Jessica, if you're watching this on the internet, run. Okay, just, okay, all right. Let's go to a real letter, all right? Colossians chapter 1. I read that at 8.30. They didn't get it at all. You know, it's just, yeah, okay. Colossians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So right away we get a geographic location. Colossae was a convergent city in, south, in southern Turkey, okay? So Paul's writing a letter to a young church in kind of a nondescript city. In fact, Colossae, it's interesting, was a part of an ancient tri-cities, okay? It was like three little cities all kind of mapped together. And we've got a tri-cities area right here in Washington state, right? So Colossae was paired up with a city known Hierapolis, That was kind of like the big city in the area. And then there was another city called Laodicea. If you read the book of Revelation, God has some very non-flattering things to say about the city of Laodicea. So basically, we got this tri-city thing, and it kind of goes like this. So if Hierapolis was Seattle, Colossae would be Bellingham, and Laodicea would be Tacoma. Okay, so um, (laughs) just saying, just saying, all right? But Colossae, this amazing little city, was a city of marketing and economics and technology and religion and commerce and trade and philosophy. And it sounded like another city that we all know, right? I think Bellingham is a convergent city in Northwest Washington. Let me tell you what I mean. So I went for a prayer walk the other day, and I, I, I walked a three-block section of downtown Bellingham. Now, I totally understand. I totally get it. A lot of us live in the county, but let's just face it, right? Bellingham's kind of the hub of Whatcom County. In three blocks in Bellingham, I counted 21 businesses, 11 religious groups, seven political affiliations, two educational opportunities, four social justice movements, nine economic initiatives, and a small little band of Jesus freaks called Ecclesia. I kind of like those guys, right? That's family right there. It's the same as, Bell- same as Colossae. Bellingham and Colossae, this letter is so relevant to us because we're living what these guys were encountering. So Paul goes on to the faithful brothers in Colossae, and then he goes on and says this, grace and peace to you. Let's just stop there for a second. That tells us this letter was written to those who were Jewish and those who were not. So everybody gets to come to this party. He says, grace and shalom to you. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Grace is what happens when we bring our sin to Jesus and He gives us mercy in return. We bring sin, He gives forgiveness. And Paul starts off the letter saying, grace to you and peace, shalom to you. 
Not the kind of peace that, that just kind of affects one person, but the kind of peace that settles in over an entire church when their eyes are completely and totally fixed on Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Lord, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And that you've already heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which is just a fancy word for the message of Jesus, the gospel that's come to you. Listen to this. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. Paul starts off the letter saying, I've got good news for the church. The good news is this, the very message of Jesus that's touched you in the deepest part of your core has also rippled out across the world and is touching thousands, even hundreds of thousands of other people. He starts with encouragement. I don't know about you, I need a good shot of encouragement every once in a while. Thanks to all of you who fire off an email and just say, you know what, that was not just for you this weekend, that was for me too. I, I mean, we all need that kind of encouragement, right? Paul starts off encouraging this little church with this truth. The good news of Jesus is bearing fruit and growing. It's actually expanding. Well, Christ the King, I want to encourage you the same way this morning. So last weekend, we did something called Arrows Out. That's just where the leadership of the Christ the King Network churches kind of come together in one place in one time, and we just celebrate what Jesus is doing. And Christ the King International is the arm of our church that works in different places around the world. And they put together a little video just showing what God is up to in some of the farthest corners of the world away from us. And when I saw it, I was so unbelievably encouraged, and I'd like you to be encouraged too. So let's watch the screens together. Gloria, Gloria. Gloria, Gloria. We all
church, would you join me in giving praise to God for everything that he's doing around the world? Incredible. Verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So all of a sudden, this guy shows up named Epaphras. And he's just a guy who heard the message of Jesus. He probably heard it from the Apostle Paul in another city called Ephesus. But he shows up in Colossae and says, you guys, you're not going to believe this story that I heard. It's completely revolutionized my life. The thought of keeping the story to himself was unthinkable because of how it changed him. Paul states right up front, somebody told you about Jesus, and now you have an opportunity to actually share that same story with somebody else. I mean, in my life, my mom and dad started telling me about Jesus when I was small. Then Franklin McDowell told me about Jesus in Sunday school. Bob Hildebrand told me about Jesus in Awana. Dave Boyce told me about Jesus in high school. Ellery Pullman, Ian Lawson, Marv Penner told me about Jesus in college. The people of Christ the King, all of you, you bear witness to me about the transforming power of Jesus in your life every week. And it just begs to ask the question, who told you about Jesus? And what if they hadn't? What if they took the story of Jesus like it's good enough for me? Good enough for us four, no more. What if they hadn't? Where would we be? Here's the point. Someone told you, so you get to tell someone else. That's a responsibility that comes with calling ourselves a follower of Christ. So I've got another challenge right from the book of Colossians. We're calling it the Epaphras Challenge. And that's to verbally invite five people who don't know Jesus to come to Easter weekend with you, assuming that you will have already talked to them about Jesus and church is just going to be extension that weekend because we're going to be talking about Jesus too. Now, for those of you who are sitting there going, I'm not sure I know five people who don't know Jesus. I'm like, really? What, what kind of insulated life are you existing in? I mean, and it, that, that has to change, Right? We're supposed to be engaging with people and actually making disciples. My question to all of us is, are we going to bring Jesus where he has placed us, or are we going to keep it to ourselves? If we make the decision to keep it to ourselves, I want us to understand what we're doing. We call ourselves a loving church. How loving can we claim to be when we have the key to eternity in the story of Jesus in our hand and we refuse to give it to anyone and keep it to ourselves? How loving can we claim to be? I mean, if I had the cure to cancer and I refused to give it out, I think that would actually make me a hateful human being. My question is, are we actually willing to live up to the reputation that Jesus has called us to, which is to invite people, not just to engage in church, but to engage in a relationship with Jesus that can set them free for the rest of eternity? Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. That's kind of cool. And asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great patience or endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. I mean, I wish I had time to unpack that whole prayer, but because it's a prayer, let me just share what I've been praying for us as a church this past week. 
Because I just borrowed the template from the Apostle Paul. My prayer would be for Christ the King is that during this series, God would fill us with the knowledge of His will. Which means this. It means when we're done, if we're not filled to overflowing with the knowledge of how God wants to execute His will in our life, if we're not overflowing with the fact that God is unbelievably in love with each one of us, if we're not a little closer to His purpose and a little closer to His plan, then we will have absolutely failed and wasted our time. And I don't know about you, but life's too short. I don't want to waste my time. So I'm praying that each one of us would be filled to overflowing with the knowledge of God's will so that we could. Now, I want you to understand the difference between the word could and should. So many of us do so much in our Christian lives because we know we should do that. We really ought to do that. What if instead of coulds, we were able to replace them with a heartfelt understanding of being so unbelievably intoxicatedly loving God that we changed all of our have-tos for get-tos? I don't have to share my faith. I get to share my faith. I don't have to show up at church. I get to go to church. I don't have to worship. I get to worship God. I don't have to pray. I get to have a conversation with God Almighty Himself. What if it was transformed that way so that we could, and then He breaks it down, live a life worthy of the Lord? That simply means to live in such a way that people can tell. Christ the King, could you be the person in your office that everybody kind of looks at and goes, you know, I don't know about that guy? And they're a little off. You know, kind of different, but it's weird. Everybody else is freaking out, and they seem to get calmer. Everybody else has all of these issues, and they have the same issues, but they just seem to handle them in a completely different way. It's almost like they believe there's somebody out there helping them. Live a life worthy of the Lord, to live to that reputation. Secondly, to please Him in every way. That means every thought, every motive, every action, every business idea, every marriage conversation, every, every homework assignment, that every single one of those things was done with the thought, I'm going to try and please God. I'm just going to do what anybody would do if they were absolutely confident that God was with them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Thirdly, that they would bear good fruit, that my, I would make my life matter in somebody else's life. Then it wouldn't just be all about me. Fourthly, that I would grow in the knowledge of Jesus, that every day my goal would be to stand in front of the mirror at the end of the day and be able to say, I can see a little bit more of him and a little bit less of me. That the reflection that I see in the, middle, in the mirror is just different because I am decreasing and Jesus is increasing. Next, that we would be strong in Him alone, that we would find strength in God and not just in our own activities. Boy, we're really good at developing Christian resumes, aren't we? We like to put good stuff on there. God, look at my Sunday school attendance record. Look at my track record of quiet times. Look at all of these things that I do. And that is so unbelievably good until we start believing that the equation is, if I do all of this stuff, God's going to love me more. Finding strength in God. I don't know about you, but I am so tired of treadmill Christianity. When I get on the mill and I just run and I run and I run and I run and I'm sweating and I'm doing everything and I'm going absolutely nowhere. What if we could exchange that for a spiritual journey filled with passion where every day we acknowledge, God, I've got nothing to offer you and that's the best place to be because apart from you, I can do nothing. 
how much freer would our lives be? Here's the next thing. Paul prays that we would develop patience. Boy, we could all use a little more of that, huh? Oh, come on, don't lie, 1137. I've seen you at Costco, all right? You've seen me, you know, bumping carts with people, right? Develop a little bit more patience. Develop a little more gratitude. That's next. What if gratitude was our reflex response even when things were awful? I mean, we're, we're so easy to thank God when everything's going good, right? When there's no check engine light on the car, God must love me more. Got a little bump from, you know, my boss, God must love me more. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate all the little help. Well, what if that was our reflex action when the check engine light did come on? Boop. Thank, oh, thank you, Jesus. Another opportunity to trust you. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? What if it was possible? What if we saw every little piece of adversity as another opportunity to grow and be different? And here's the last one, that we understand that we're qualified by the Father, not by our human effort. I have this picture in my head of bringing my Christian resume to Jesus years ago and laying it down going, you see all, all the really cool stuff I've done for you? And having Jesus push it off to the side and put his hands on my shoulders and say, it's not about your resume. I love you regardless of your resume. I proved that to you on the cross. You guys can't see it, but it's a great reminder to me. They put a lit cross right on the floor in the center of the room so I can't miss it. It's just a reminder all of the time while I'm preaching this whole series that this is not about me trying to prove to everybody that I can, that I can open the Word of God and expound it. And my prayer is that we would understand that all of our qualifications come from God the Father and He just wants to bless us with that. Which means, what if we didn't have to just strive all of the time and feel like a failure? What if we got freed up as a church just to fail forward? What, what if we got freed up to not keep score and Jesus was actually enough? Paul prays one final thought for us. Verses 13 and 14, I love this. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Let me define gospel for you again. Anytime you hear me say that word over the next seven or eight weeks, it just means the beautiful message of Jesus. All right? The message of Jesus. You doing okay, Steve? You all right, bud? Yeah, you're good? Okay. If I could get an usher, bring a bottle of water or a cup down here to my friend Steve, he would love it. Thanks, buddy. Doing great. Let me read verses 13 and 14 again. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So years ago, I used to work at a camp called Cedarwood. Cedarwood was an amazing place because it was a group of, a group of inner city kids and a group of high-end, really wealthy kids. And they got put together at the same place. And I got kids that have literally one change of clothes for the whole week and, and rich kids who've got a different polo shirt for every day of the week. And they're interacting together about Jesus at the center of it. My job at that camp was to take this big pontoon boat and actually drive it back and forth across this lake. 
And this lake was actually quite a ways apart. In fact, I would go across, all the way across the lake. It would take us quite a while to get across. And then we would pull into this little channel, and there were cliffs on both sides, and the kids would dive off of them into the water. It was just a blast. We used to go cliff diving. It was just a lot of fun. Well, one weekend, I had an opportunity to take a group of staff members over there. And so we're over on the far side of the lake, and, and the issue and the problem was this. You never knew what the wind conditions were when you were back in the channel. And you could get out in the middle of that lake... And if the wind was blowing, that boat, no matter how much horsepower you had in your engines, if the wind was blowing, it became a great big sail. And if the wind was going that way, that boat was going that way, no matter what you did. So you had to be very careful with it. So I take this group of kids out, this group of staff members, and we're cliff diving, and we're having so much fun, we kind of lose track of time. And all of a sudden, I realize it's getting really dark really fast. So we jump on the pontoon boat and we start heading out and we get out of the channel and as soon as the nose of the boat comes out of the channel, I realize that the wind is blowing right in our face and it's blowing hard. And I've got this thing pinned and we're not going anywhere. We're inching forward across this lake and it's getting darker and darker and darker. We're away from civilization in the white shell region of northern Manitoba. There's nothing out there. There's no light sources out there. It's cloudy that night. You can't see stars. You can't see the moon. You can't see landmarks. You can't see shore. You can't see anything. And and we're out in the middle of nowhere, completely enveloped in darkness. Just like Paul said, the dominion of darkness. It felt like it had wrapped itself around us. I mean, being in northern Manitoba without lights is like someone putting a black garbage bag over your head. You can't see anything in front of your face. It took no time at all. And we are in the middle of the lake and we are lost. I mean, we're disoriented. We, we don't have a clue where we are. And I'm terrified because what I know is this lake is completely encircled with rocks. And if you don't know this, rocks and pontoon boats don't get along very well. And I'm scared because it's my responsibility to get these guys home. We can't tell where we are. We can't tell what direction we're going. So finally, we shut down the engines and we start calling out to see if anybody at the camp can actually hear us. So we're calling out. It's like, you know, how's it going, eh? We're in Canada, right? So that's, you know, okay. Stay with me, all right, all right? So I'm calling out, and we're hearing nothing. Nothing. And the wind is blowing, and the boat is just moving. And then somebody says, what's that? That was my friend Bob Gunther, who thought it was strange that the boat wasn't back in time before dark. So he walked down on the dock, and in his pocket, he had a little tiny insignificant pen flashlight. And that was Bob at the end of the dock, just taking that light, turning it on and off, on and off, on and off. And you know what I learned? I learned in that much darkness, a little bit of light goes a really long way. And he just kept turning it on and off on and off, and we gunned the engines as hard as we could, and it seemed like it took forever till the nose of our boat bumped up against that dock, and then I shut the engines down, and I hugged Bob, coming, dude, you rescued us. Do we understand that all the way through the Colossians, the book of Colossians, that's what Jesus is going to do? He's going to stand at the end of the dock and he's going to flash his light to everybody that's stuck out there in the darkness. You know, it was amazing to me. I thought about it afterwards. Human effort got us out in the middle of the lake and in trouble. 
How many of us just try to depend on human effort? I mean, that's why there's these huge sections of self-help books in bookstores. Can I tell you something? Self don't help. (laughs) Self doesn't help anybody. Myself is a jerk. Myself is dumb. Myself puts me in these terrible situations. What we need when we're enveloped in the dominion of darkness is somebody who's a little bit bigger than self to show up and say, I'm going to rescue you. Come this direction. Follow me this way. Paul is saying at the end of this little section, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have all of the hope for a complete transformation that begins with the forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. And we're going to hear it every single week. I mean, how many of us have an understanding of God that, that somehow we get out in the middle of the darkness and we can't find our way out and he just seems to be kind of disapproving? I, I've seen this happen so many times. I go on vacation and we're sitting down by the pool and it always seems to happen. There's a dad sitting on a lounge chair with his nose buried in a newspaper or in an iPad or talking on his phone and he's completely consumed and there's a little five-year-old boy who's obviously his son over on the edge of the pool. He's like, Daddy, watch me. I'm going to jump, Dad. This is awesome. I learned how to swim last summer. I don't even need a life jacket anymore. Daddy, just watch me. Daddy, do you see? Are you watching? Are you watching? And the dad is so unbelievably oblivious to what's happening right in front of him that he can't even take a moment to drop his paper and watch his son. And so many of us have exactly the same picture of God. Disinterested, distracted. Can I tell you something? If that's the picture of God, you're looking at the wrong papa. Because the God that we love and the God that we serve is not a disinterested dad hiding behind a newspaper. The God that we serve that we're going to learn about all through the book of Colossians, he's in the pool. He's in the pool on the other side going, come on, buddy, jump. Jump. Have a little bit of faith. Just jump. I'll catch you. I will not let you drown. Come in the water. Let's play. Let's just be together. I love you. I'm proud of you. You could never do anything to make me love you more. You could never do anything to make me love you less. I mean, I am just, I'm here for you in this moment. Come on, son. Let's play. When was the last time you thought about your Christianity that way? Come on, kids. Let's play. So here's the prayer as I wrap up this morning. May not make a lot of sense this week, but hopefully over the next couple it will. Jesus, would you release us from our should and our ought to and all of our attachments? We want to live like Jesus is enough. We want Jesus to be all we need because he's all we have. I can't wait to take this book apart. My prayer is that when we're done, that your Bible is so used to being bent in this spot that when you hold it up in the air and just let it flop, that it just goes straight to Colossians. We're going to love this story because this letter, I believe, was written for every single person in this room, including me. So church, it may sound weird, but... Let's play. Let's dive in with both feet. Let's find out what our spiritual father has waiting for us at the other end of this beautiful letter.